and comforts of life. Jefferson died July 4, 1826, on the 50th anniversary of the adoption of the Declaration of Independence. Brought to you by Museum of the Bible. We want to bring you more of God's Word. Less of us, more of Him. The Way, 101.1 FM. Current events. Personal values. Political and social issues. Technology. Wars and tensions. Join us for the next hour to discuss and learn how the things happening in our world today point to God's prophetic word as signs of the times. Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome into Signs of the Times, our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news for Friday, April 9th, 2021. Along with Pastor Mark Kirk, I'm Greg Hilt. Thanks for hanging out with us for the next hour, whether you're listening live online or watching us live today on uh, YouTube or Facebook or uh, listening to Podcast 164 later on Apple, Google, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or Stitcher, or checking us out uh Every way that you possibly can at thewaymedia.net. You can watch past episodes, uh, subscribe to the podcast, read the articles we discuss. What else can you do? Apply for an auto loan? No, I It's amazing. Just so you know, getting a lot of great feedback on the Way Media app. It is fantastic. And I want to say something else, too, uh, and I believe this is on there as well. Uh, as far as signs of the times, but the Way Media app on Google or Android. But we also have the Way Media for your Roku or Apple TV device, and that's already out there. And I keep forgetting to tell our listeners, so if you want to watch this program in the ecosphere of a Roku or an Apple TV, it's there. Just search the Way Media, download it, you're ready to go. On the big screen. On the big screen. Our big fat face is right there. Actually, I I recommend not doing that. Actually, don't do that. Watch it on the smallest cell phone that you possibly 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 can anyway uh, uh nevertheless thanks for uh, joining us today uh, this week pastor mark it's not that we've got mail we've got lots of mail we've had lots of inquiries yeah. regarding a youtube video that's been circulating featuring a guy that calls himself i believe he's the one calling himself uh, effectually a Messiah Ben David. Yeah, I don't know that he's making that claim. Or he, I don't know if he's, but people yeah. are yeah, assigning people, or attributing right. I don't think he that, is, yeah, saying that so. to him. Anyway, let's talk about that YouTube video and all your education that comes with it that yeah. we as believers, if any, we get that the world might they, the world knows about the mark of the beast. Right. They know about the They know about surface prophecy things. So the world's going to get excited right. about things. But we as believers, we shouldn't get excited. But And the Bible tells us why. And you're going to tell us why, yeah. what the Bible says. Should we do the question first or go ahead and do all this and come back to the question? Well, no, let's talk about the question first. Let's okay. talk about this YouTube video and okay. talk about that. And then let's get into the education of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So again, the question was, is who is this guy? You know, is he is he anything to uh, uh, claiming to be the Messiah or the Messiah that Jacob wrote us about? Um, many, many. We had lots of listeners. Oh, that's right. That's right. You said you had multiple. Multiple so you people. <laughs> multiple people. So I blew your whole thing about you. Yeah, that's all right. Just multiple all right. people. All right. Yeah. Anyway. Um, and. It, it, here's what's going on. Basically, it's a big deal outside of Israel, but in Israel, nobody really knows about it. And so that's very interesting. I've been doing some homework on it. Um, this On Passover, this guy um, by the name of um, Jezahu ben David, or um, his goes Shlomo Yehuda, is also Rabbi Shlomo Yehuda. Um, he's 33 years old. He's an up-and-coming rabbi. He's very popular among the Orthodox, and um, they see him as a very important man. And he showed up on Passover this year to the Western Wall and did a special prayer. And crowds were gathered around him and, and just thronging him and everybody, you know, this kind of thing. And so 
there were some people there that were um, Hispanic speaking. I'm not sure where they're from, but they were putting out videos saying, hey, this is uh, this guy's claiming to be the Messiah. And so there maybe the Antichrist and a lot of excitement. Is this guy the Antichrist? Well, first of all, the answer is no, he's not. But we're going to talk about why he's not. As far as I know, he's not claiming to be the Messiah. And really, even as far as what, what I can tell from what I've been looking at on uh, the Internet, even the Orthodox Jews and those who respect him are not calling him the Messiah. It's mostly other peoples outside of them saying they believe he's their Messiah, so they think he might be the Antichrist. So there's a whole lot of uh, fervor and excitement on YouTube outside of Israel, but in Israel they're kind of yawning. It's no big deal there. Uh, so they definitely as a nation don't see this guy as their Messiah, and no one's taking it seriously that way. But it's worth talking about because there is some stir out there on YouTube, and there is um, you know questions about it. And so we have to look at it. Number one, no, he's not. Here's how we know. Again, remember, Jesus said one of the signs of the last days is he said, many will come in my name and say, I'm the Christ. So I do believe this does have some prophetic import in that um, this may be the beginning of seeing more people show up that seem to be important, some that are actually claiming to be Messiah. Maybe this Shlomo Yehuda will claim that he's Messiah at some point. I don't know. Um, but either way... Um, you're going to see more of this. And, of course, we've seen people throughout history claiming they're the Christ. We see in Hinduism today, all their leaders claim to be a Christ. So there are already multitudes of people saying they're a Christ, enough to fulfill what Jesus said prophetically. But I think you're going to see some of this activity from the Jewish community, Greg. And I, this right here probably is that intro to that, um, very possibly. So keep your eye on this. We may see more of this happening. And he may actually come out and say something later. It is interesting. He chose that day to go down there and make such a stir on Passover because they do believe the Messiah is going to come on Passover and this kind of thing. Uh, but, but don't be deceived by that. Remember, here's what the foundation. I think this is where we as Christians are going to have to really be smart. Uh, in the last days, we have to know the word of God and we have to know prophecy because we're going to be tricked and deceived if we don't like everyone else in the world that doesn't know it. Um, the Bible does say that a man will come along that the Jews will believe is their Messiah. Uh, however, it's going to be after this 10 nation or 10 region conglomerate comes together out of Europe. He will rise up suddenly and pull three of them down. So before he could even introduce himself, before he could even be seen as the Messiah, you'd have to have this grouping together of these ten nations. Then he yanks three of them down. We don't know which three. We don't know which ten are going to be together. Then you know you've got your Antichrist. Um, so he's not going to just show up one day and, and uh, show up to the Western Wall and pass over and suddenly be the Antichrist. This guy's going to be a world leader. He's not even going to claim that he is the Messiah, I don't think, or, or at least that he's God until the three and a half year point. We know that from the book yeah. of Revelation. Yes. Yeah. So, so um, the bottom line is, no, this is not. Uh, the Jews don't even think that he is. There may be a small group that are wondering, definitely people that are um, excited about prophecy on the outside, but don't really understand prophecy, obviously, good enough think that he might be, um, but this is nothing to pay any attention to, really, other than just saying he may be the beginning of some more coming after him. Uh, but again, our Which main, Jesus said that many would come. That's right. That's right. And our main focus is to be looking for the Christ anyway, yeah. not the Antichrist. Yeah. But you'll know the Antichrist, because here's how you'll know him. He will come on the scene. Ten nations will be together. He'll pull three of them down. Even if he's the one that helps establish the ten nations, Greg, at the very beginning, um, he will show up and sign a treaty with the nation of Israel and the, and the rest of the nations around him. That'll be the signal you know who that guy is. And I, the reason I don't believe we'll see that or know who he is is the rapture of the church has to happen prior to that and no later than that day that he declares that he's the Messiah because, again, that starts the seven-year clock for the second coming. And um, the, the Lord said, nobody will know the day or the hour of my coming, which means we've got to be out of here before that clock starts. Because once that clock starts, every believer on the planet could predict the exact day of the second coming. And, and, and anyone that's saved after that or knows the Bible, they'll be able to do that. But since the Lord said no one will know the day or the hour, we know there has to be some other event prior to that. And we know that as the rapture of the church. So uh, be ready for this. You're going to see these kind of things happening as we get into the last days. Yeah. But no, this is not the Messiah. And even those in Israel don't really think yeah. it is. It's more of excited prophecy people yeah. outside of Israel that are yeah. giving this credence. And that one world government has to be established and in operation. 
before he shows up. Yeah. And, and because, again, in terms of imitating God, Jesus showed up in the midst of an existing, operating one-world government. Yeah, that's a great point the Roman, Im- The Roman yeah. Empire. And, then, and that's why his disciples were so dismayed, yeah. because they thought he was coming to take over yeah. that government. Yeah. Think about that for a minute. And so the people that are going to be deceived when this guy shows up on the scene and going, and the Jews and the Muslims, are when he brings peace to that temple mount, they're going to be like, that's our Messiah, and he's going to take over that one world government. Yeah. Oh, wow. It's going to be an exciting. It's going to be exciting for them, Greg. Very it, exciting. Very horrible for horrible those who know what's going those, on. Yes, exactly. But you brought, that's a great point you bring up. I want to emphasize that because before the show started, you brought that point up, and that is a point we don't need to, to let slip by here for those that may be wondering. Remember, it was a one world government that was in place when the when the Christ showed up. And the Bible says there'll be a revived Roman Empire in the last days, which will make up either this 10-nation or 10-region conglomerate. We're still waiting to see how that's going to fall into place. He'll rise out of that. So that'll be in place. He'll come up. He'll pull three down. He'll establish himself as the world leader. And then this whole process begins. And you're right. They're going to be very excited because think about that. If you see this guy taking power of the world and you believe he's their Messiah— you're seeing he's backing it up because now he's the ruler of the world, which they believe their Messiah will be the ruler of the world. So it is such a setup that Satan has put the Jews in because yeah. they've rejected Jesus Christ and the word of God. They're sitting ducks, Greg, and it's it's going to be very exciting for them, but only short lived and then very horrifying as he begins to wipe them out. You know, what's interesting, Pastor Mark, is that we know that the Jews generally do not lend credence to the New Testament. Correct. But yet it's in the New Testament that Jesus gives the warning to that future Israel when the Antichrist shows up. And and he says, when you see that abomination of desolation take place, get off your rooftops, you know, run to the to the to the uh, Petra. Yeah. Is essentially what he's saying. Right. I'm just wondering. He didn't say it. For no purpose, somehow, some way, that is going to come to remembrance or come to the knowledge of, you know, into the minds of those Jews that are over there in Israel and in that region to be able to escape to Petra, to know to go there. Yeah. I just wonder. Let's talk about that. Yeah. Let's talk about that. I, I, it's a great, first of all, there's, it's a great point you bring up, Greg, but there, there are believing Jews that are there. Number one, there are some Jews that know the Lord. Of course, they'll be gone in the rapture. Yeah. But they've been teaching others uh, around them. Okay. And Good. they will have heard this teaching to some degree. And, and, and remember this, this is something that's always just been, uh, so amazing and sweet to me is that is you have all these Jewish, uh, unsaved Jewish tour guides. And their job is to drive a bunch of Christians around in buses all over the nation while the Christian pastors teach about Matthew 24. I forgot about that. That's so true. they're yeah. hearing they're hearing all yeah. the time that we believe yeah. there's going to be this false leader and they're supposed to flee to Petra and when he declares that he's God. So they're mocking it. But when that guy says, I'm God, they're going to go, oh, my goodness. And those who remember and take heed. Down to Petra. So I believe there'll be multitudes who are very aware, and they know what we teach. They know what we say. They're going to be ready, um, and I think that'll be the trigger to make them say, this is the real deal. Let's get out of here. So, yeah, yeah you're going to see a response. Wow. Yep. Okay. Uh, so if you've got a question, like so many of you reached out to us, and we do appreciate that, whether you want to reach out to us on Facebook at the Way Media uh, Facebook page, or you can tweet us on Twitter at Prophecy Help is our handle there, or just uh, go to thewaymedia.net or the Way Media app, go to Signs of the Times, and you can submit your prophecy question. Another thing that's coming up that's been around but is now surfacing. Yeah is what's called the Doctrine of the Divine Council of Gods. Yeah. And I was kind of surprised that we would even be talking about this. And Pastor and I, and I asked Pastor Mark, I said, why are we even talking about this? And he says, well, Greg, if you'll remember, Wednesday night we talked about this as we're working through the Psalms. And then the very next day, I get a call that says, hey, what's this thing going around? So clearly you were on the headwinds of well, this. Well, and it was someone that had not heard Wednesday night's teaching. teaching so either. I realized, okay, yeah. this is God's timing. It really just happened to where we, we happened to be in Psalm 82 working through the Bible. Yeah. And I say happened to be. God had us there. And so uh, it's not a, a super well-known doctrine, but it is growing. It's a, You know, the Bible says there's winds of doctrines that will blow through, and we should be standing on solid ground so that we're not deceived by different winds of doctrine. This is one of those winds of doctrine 
Don't want to spend a lot of time on it, but I want to mention it and make people aware of it because yeah. I think you're going to hear a little bit more about it. Absolutely. And where it comes from, and maybe our listeners, no doubt, have had questions about this. It's a good opportunity to help to describe Psalm 82 as to what's going on. But in Psalm 82, it says, God stands in the congregation of the mighty. He judges among the gods. How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? He goes on down and says, I said, your gods and all of your children are the most top. You shall die like men and fall like one of the princes. So you go, wait a minute. Wow. The Bible says here um, that he's talking about gods. I thought there was only one God, uh, et cetera. Uh, here's the thing. The the word used here, again, this this whole, it's being used to propagate this teaching called a divine council of God, where these gods are in heaven. They say are not people, but they're spirits. And there's some divine counsel that the Lord has appointed in heaven, and they they give counsel to God, and he lets them be a part of things and all this. Uh, but it really only takes a few verses and um, and some logic to refute this teaching, which we'll look at right here. Um, because, again, the Bible's very clear. There's only one God. We'll get to that in a moment. But this is interesting, Greg, and I want to make sure our listeners are aware of this. There's a couple of scriptures that I want to point out to our listeners. Um, one is uh, out of um, 2 Peter 2.1. It says, but there will be false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, that is the church, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. Okay, and this thing is kind of come in secretly. It's not in the main pulpits of America. It's kind of coming in the back door, if you will. And then in, uh, again, in First Timothy chapter 4, it says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and the doctrine of demons. And I believe that's what this is. Um, and again, it's going to be, if it's going to be secret and if it's going to be anything that could possibly deceive the church, it has to be close enough to pull people in who don't know the scripture well enough to refute it. And that's what's happening. And again, um, the person that espouses it is, he also espouses his, um, academia and he likes to talk about his PhD and all these things. And I think he's trying to use that maybe as an intimidation factor. If I'm important, listen to me. Um, but if you remember, Jesus didn't pay much attention to the PhDs of his day. Um, the rabbis and those yeah. in the Sanhedrin and those in the school, he was like, you know what, you guys, you don't know the basic word of God, and that's why you're going astray. And I think we've got the very same thing happening here. And so remember, when you don't understand something like Psalm 82, fall back on what you do know. Always fall back, and, and when you're looking for something act, accurate doctrinally or not, establish what is accurate doctrinally, and then work back from that. And so, um, and before I even get into this, by the way, anytime some new teaching comes along that the church has not heard of for the first 2,000 years of the church, that should be a warning flag right there. Whenever something new pops in, it's brand new, the church hasn't heard of it, it's never come up, and suddenly it's brought up. I even heard one comment, well, certainly Paul and Peter knew about it, but they never talked about it. Well, if Paul and Peter knew about it, why didn't they talk <laughs> about it? Why wouldn't they address it? Exactly. Even as a warning. Right. And, and we have to especially remember, in the last days, there's going to be secret doctrine sneaking in. We need to be on our toes more than ever. Now, we're not you know, uh, uh, you know, know, sniffing out everybody and trying to find the, the false doctrine under every rock, but... As we live life and live as Christians and these doctrines that blow through, that Paul warned us about, we need to know the Word of God uh, know well enough to know what's right and what's wrong. Now, on the surface, the argument seems to make sense. The word here, God's, is the word Elohim. And so he says, uh, when he speaks of that, you know, I've called you Elohim. Well, the argument is, we'll see, these are gods. So it shows there's other gods. So if that's the only verse you had... And it's the only thing you understood, even as we're going to see in a moment, you should be able to refute that because the Bible says there is no God but me, and we'll get to that in a moment. But the first thing I want to talk about is is that this is not the only place that God talks about men as being gods. God uses the term Elohim for men in other places in Scripture, and many people don't know that. And so you might be going, why in the world would God use Elohim for men? Here's why. God is simply saying, you are my spokesman. You are speaking for God, and when you speak for me, it's the same as Elohim speaking, God Almighty speaking. But that doesn't make you Elohim. That's why he says later in Psalm 82, 6, he goes, yeah, I'm calling you gods, that is speaking for me, but you're going to die like men. You're just men. Now, let's lay some scripture here, some foundation for this, uh, because I want our listeners to hear that God speaks of men as Elohim in other places. And it's not just here, because they build the whole doctrine basically from Psalm 82. But remember, you have to look at all of the Bible, and you have to fall back on what you know to be true foundationally and work from there. Okay. So first of all, and really the most foundational thing is there's only one God. I I put that second, but I want to address this first. God calls Moses Elohim in Exodus 4, verses 15 through 16. But Moses isn't a God. Here's what he says. 
Remember, Moses was having trouble speaking, and, and God said, well, Aaron speaks well, right? He said, yeah, well, okay, let Aaron speak for you. You be like God to Aaron, and Aaron will be like your prophet. And he says in Exodus four fifteen and 16, now you shall speak to uh, Aaron and put your words in his mouth, and he will be basically, and I will be with your mouth uh, as with his mouth. Or and with his mouth, rather, speaking, you know, you'll speak to him and I'll be speaking to you and I'll teach you what you shall do. So he that is Aaron shall be your spokesman to the people because Moses, you're saying you don't speak well. And he himself shall be a mouth for you and you uh, shall be to him as Elohim, as God. So he's saying is you're going to speak for God. And so when I when I speak through you, you're speaking for Elohim. And you'll tell it to Aaron, and then Aaron will tell it to Pharaoh, because it's the voice of God coming from heaven. So we see that he makes the reference to God speaking through man, using Elohim as God speaks to man there in Exodus um, 4, verses 15 and 16. But then God also, in Exodus 22, when he talks about the judges of Israel, he refers to them as Elohim. Let me hmm. read it to you. He says this. This is out of Exodus 22, 9. And this is obviously not some divine counsel in heaven, because he's talking about settling issues here on earth on your farm. He says, for any kind of trespass, whether it concerns an ox, a donkey, or a sheep, or clothing, or for any kind of lost thing which another claims to be his, the cause of both parties shall come before the Elohim. And whoever judges, uh, and whomever the Elohim condemns, shall pay double to his neighbor. Well, very clearly, he's not talking about some council in heaven that they're going to bring their ox in front of and say, hey, uh, what are we supposed to do? That's why when you read it in your English translation, here's how it will read. Both parties shall come before the judges, and whomever the judges condemn shall pay double to his neighbor. This is not the only place he does it. He refers to earthly judges who are speaking for him as Elohim. It is not the first time or the only time in Psalm 82. Hmm. Now, that's huge because, again, um, it's obviously not speaking about some divine counsel, but they use that, Greg, to say, well, that means there's a divine counsel because he's talking about Elohim before heaven and God. No, God even goes on in Psalm 82, you're just like, you're going to be men and you're going to die as a man. Now, the next thing you have to realize is, and this is really probably I should switch my notes around and make this first next time, because we need to fall back on what we know to be absolute first, and that is, there is no other God but God. Now, he, he claims they're Elohim, that they're not people, that they're spirits, but at the same time, he, he almost kind of speaks double talk because he says later on, hey, doesn't even God say don't worship the gods of the nations? So God kind of is backing it up. So in one point, he says, no, these aren't really gods. In another place, he implies that they are gods. So he's really kind of kind of this confusing type of situation going on. But let me just say this. Isaiah 43.10, uh, the second part of it, 10b, if you will, says this. God speaking, before me, there was no God formed nor there shall be any God after me. Again, Isaiah 44, 6, God says, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first, and I am the last. Besides me, there is no God. Now, while they make the claim they're not saying these guys are God, they at the same time do say that because they're saying God calls them Elohim. So it's a little bit of kind of speaking both out of both sides of your mouth. But the bottom line is, is they're giving credence to these divine creatures, whoever they are, these spirits that are saying they're gods and God's saying, no, there is no other, there's no other gods. It's me alone. And, um, and he calls man Elohim. And so very clearly what we see in the full body of scripture, once you establish only God is God, then you look at the full body of scripture, how the word Elohim is used. God is obviously not saying that mankind is Elohim. He's not saying there's some divine counsel in heaven. That's Elohim. What God is saying is when I speak my word, through the judges, you need to be faithful to speak my word for me. You are my spokesman. You are as Elohim to the people because they can't hear my voice. Yeah. They hear your voice. So I'll speak to you and you tell them what I'm saying. He said the same thing to Moses. Moses, I'll speak to you. You speak to Aaron. Aaron will tell Pharaoh. So you're as Elohim to, to Aaron. Aaron's a prophet to, to um, you know Pharaoh. And so, you know, lastly, Greg, and this is something that, to point out in this, well, if, if this divine council, they claim this divine council in heaven that God put up there and God allows them to be, to be a part because he wants his kids to be a part of the decision-making process or doing these things. And, and um, again, if they are this divine council, it's interesting because it, when you look at Psalm 82, he's rebuking them. And he's saying, when are you going to stop judging wickedly? When are you going to start judging righteously? So 
if this even was some divine council in heaven that he is supposedly mm, appointed, right. they're sinning. Yeah. And sinners can't be in heaven. Right. They, were, they, they, they would have been kicked out like the like the fallen angels. Yeah. And and by the way, his counsel he appointed, if there are a bunch of wicked people, he appointed the wrong ones. That's that's just attributing error to God. Mm-hmm. And God is a perfect being. So it all falls apart as you begin to think through it logically. Uh, one last thing I will mention, because they do have a reference they make here. Actually, a couple things, and I've got the time to do it. But they also try to reference. You remember in the episode there with Ahab in First Kings, where Jehoshaphat and Ahab are there, and, and Ahab saying, "Go to battle with me." Jehoshaphat's like, "You know what? I'm, my men are your men. Let's go to battle." And all these guys come out doing these kind of crazy antics prophetically. You're going to go and gore them, and they wear these horns, and they're we're going to this what? And Jehoshaphat's going, "Man, these guys are crazy." Um, and he says, "So Ahab, uh, do you have any prophets of the Lord here? You know, of Yahweh?" And he goes, yeah, I've got one, you know, Micaiah, but he hates me. And every time he comes here, he says bad things. No, oh, let the king not say such things. He'll, he'll say something good. Go get Micaiah and bring him here. So the messengers go and get Micaiah. They bring him back and they say, Micaiah, look, everybody else is saying the king's going to be successful, that Ahab's going to win this victory. Don't go in there and be your normal Micaiah and rebuke him and all that. Just go along, would you? He said, I- I've got to say what God tells me to say. So they bring him before the king, and, and he says it in a very mocking way, because he goes, Micaiah, what's going to happen? Oh, king, you'll go and you'll be successful. And the reason we know he's doing it mockingly is, is Ahab goes, Ahab. Yeah. why do you always do this? Tell me the truth in the name of the Lord. He recognizes <laughs> yes. that he's giving a bunch of baloney. He goes, all right, I'll tell you what happened. Yeah. I saw in heaven a spirit come forward and said, and God said, who will, who will deceive them? And he said, I'll be a lying spirit in their mouth. Yeah. He says that's this divine counsel. Now, here's the problem. Number one, that means the divine counsel is in sin because they're saying to God they're going to go lie. God says liars won't inherit heaven, nor will they be in heaven. So it ruins the whole idea of divine counsel when you got the counsel offering to lie for God. God allows him to, but here's why God allows him to. Because he's not a resident of heaven. That spirit that goes forward, it says, is with Satan because it says Satan is there with them. He is simply, it is simply Satan and the fallen angels coming before God, asking for permission to deceive these false prophets. Yeah. So God says, sure, you guys are liars anyway. Your father's a liar. You're part of the, the fallen prophets or, or the fallen angels. Go and you can do it. I'll let you do that. And then we'll destroy it. And so the whole story goes and deceives them. They try to use that as the backing, saying this is the divine counsel of God, which again falls apart very easily and very quickly when you go to Scripture and just look at what it says. Well, let's pull back the curtain of exegetical study for a minute, Pastor Mark, because because we get the word judges, but right. when we go back to the Hebrew, it says Elohim. Right. So explain to the listeners how how that gets properly interpreted to mean that in its context yeah. versus Elohim that means God in plurality right. that we get the in Trinity. Genesis. That's right. Well, again, and you said it really, the context is what is what does it. When you read that he says, when he's talking to the people about going before someone to determine what to do with their ox, that gives it the context of an earthly judge. And then in that context, he calls them Elohim. So is that just an issue of comprehension when you're reading it? Or is that an issue of how the Hebrew is written and constructed to reveal that to you? Well, it's really more of a comprehension because what God is saying is, God is saying, it's me speaking through, because Elohim speaks of God's name. But it's God saying, it's me speaking through man. Basically, my voice is coming through those judges. So when the people hear them, they're going to hear Elohim. Because we have love, the English word, but then we've got the Greek that's eros and agape and phileo. And so I was just wondering... When it comes to that, is yeah. there were there different derivatives, or when we look at the mood tense verb, or you know, is there is there something that re, is revealed in in that when we go through go through it exegetically? Nothing that I okay. know of. I think Greg. Now I can look okay. at that more in depth later, but as far as I know, it's simply just a comprehension okay. thing. A comprehension. He's saying, "Hey, they're speaking for me, therefore I refer to them as Elohim." I have one last thing before sure. we run out of time. Yeah. Lastly, when they say there's this divine counsel, God needs no counselor. And listen to what it says in Isaiah 40, verses 11 through 14. God is speaking and saying, you know, basically, listen, listen to who I am. He mm. says, and he, he asks a bunch of rhetorical questions that have obvious answers. God says, who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, as of the earth? Of course, God has. Who's measured heaven with the span and calcul- span of his hand and calculated the dust of the earth in measure? Well, God has. Who's weighed out the mountains in scales and the hills in a balance? Hills in, yeah, in a balance. But notice this one. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord? Or who has his counselor, as his counselor, has taught him? Nobody, in other words. With whom did he take counsel? And who instructed him? And who taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These are obvious rhetorical questions, meaning no one. So the bottom line is, God says, 
There are no counselors from me. I don't need counselors. There is no teaching of a divine counsel of God in Scripture. It is simply God calling mankind Elohim when mankind is speaking for him. We see it with Moses. We see it with the judges. And now we see it here in the Psalms when God is rebuking the earthly judges, basically saying, Mm. listen, earthly judges, I'm your judge. And I'm going to judge you one day. So if you're speaking for Elohim, you're going to die like a man. But you're speaking for me. You better speak my word faithfully. And so the doctrine is easily dispelled. Wow. That was fantastic. Deep learning on this edition of Signs of the Times. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to see that Saudi Arabia is calling for normalization with Israel and why that is prophetic big time. The Signs of the Times continues right here on WIAM. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back unless you want to pause the podcast and then come back later. WIAMLP. 101.1 FM, Knoxville. It's crazy money day. Hey, I'm Chuck Bentley with My Money Life from Crown. When people invest out of greed, envy, pride, or ignorance, things can get crazy. The tulip was introduced to Holland in the 1600s, and the wealthy rushed to buy them. Speculators saw an opportunity. They entered the market seeking their fortune in tulip bulbs. What's now known as tulip mania occurred when investors purchased bulbs and prices skyrocketed. The price of one soon cost as much as a house. Prices eventually reached an unsustainable level, and a correction occurred over the course of a week. The bubble burst, and many tulip holders went bankrupt. I can't imagine if that happened today. But we have similar booms and busts even now. Remember the dot-com and housing bubbles of the early 2000s? In January, GameStop stock rose more than 1,600%. As an online forum called Wall Street Bets urged on investors in an effort to punish hedge funds, people gained and lost millions of dollars within days. It was crazy. Investing can be precarious. Sometimes the markets are irrational. If you're a believer, then you're a steward of what God's given you. Never jump into what you don't know just because everybody else is. Do your research and don't ignore basic fundamentals. An asset is worth only as much as its intrinsic value. When prices exceed affordability, they'll crash. So pray for wisdom and check your motivation. Never invest borrowed money or what you can't afford to lose. And if you're struggling with credit card debt, I recommend Christian Credit Counselors. They can create a debt management plan that will work. For more information, call the Crown Helpline at 800-722-1976. Or visit online at crown.org slash ccc. A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. In this church, in the church, this church, that church, or the church at large, it is never God's will for us to cause division. And for sure, this is an attack of the enemy to destroy lives and to destroy churches by sowing seeds of discord and division. Why? Because the devil knows what Jesus said. And Jesus said it this way. Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against a house falls. And so it's never good to cause division. It's never good to spread rumors or accusations ever, never, ever. As our eyes are on Jesus, we learn to live submissively to him and we can trust those that God has given us to oversee the flock. You can learn more at edtaylor.org. Grow deeper in your love relationship with Jesus by visiting edtaylor.org. This has been A Moment of Grace with Ed Taylor. Signs of the Times now continues. Here again is your host. Welcome back to the second half of our weekly look at Bible prophecy in the world's news that we call the Signs of the Times for Friday, April 9th, 2021. This is episode 164 for those podcasting. Either way, whether you're listening live, online, or later, thanks for joining us as we dive into news articles that we've found from around the world that we consider to have prophetic significance. Uh, We always start with Israel when we've got articles on Israel. Most weeks we do. This week is no different. Uh, This is from jpost.com, dated April 5th, on the eve of the Iran talks. Netanyahu warns Tehran against harming Israel. Yeah, during a speech in Jaffa, uh, Netanyahu spoke with difficulty, of the difficulty, rather, of relying on allies and friends and the importance of self-defense. 
Uh, it was on the eve of the talks of the revive to revive the Iranian deal. And Netanyahu warned Tehran that it faced grave danger if it harmed Israel. And he recalled the battle for Joppa in 1948's War of Independence. And, he, and I quote, those who want to harm us place themselves in grave danger. It was true in Jaffa in 1948, and it's true today with all the differences with respect to Iran and its proxies, he said. He delivered his words at a special memorial ceremony for the Ergen fighters who fell in 1948 during that campaign for the coastal city. But he mentioned Tehran just as the world powers are about to gather in Vienna to discuss ways to reactivate the Iranian nuclear deal known as the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action. The Biden administration now wants to return to the agreement. It will participate Tuesday, along with other signatories in the European Union, in talks to allow the U.S. to become part of the deal and to secure an agreement from Tehran that would once again comply with its terms. Israel, he said, must have the ability to defend itself by itself. He recalled how in 1948 Israel could not rely on the British, and he said we know all our covenants and all our friends, but in the end... Our future has been determined by our ability to defend ourselves by ourselves. And no kidding, Israel can depend on no one but Israel. Now, what's the backdrop of this? I'm certain that probably our listeners have some degree of understanding of this. But if you remember, President Obama worked on an Iranian nuclear deal that would allow Iran to develop nuclear power and or nuclear weapons after 10 years uh, if they follow these certain guidelines. And of course, that's insanity. Uh, when you've got a nation that wants to destroy the world, really, and especially Israel, when you've got a nation that by destroying themselves, they win. Remember, uh, if you destroy yourself and you blow something up and you die in it, you go straight for the, to be, for the cause of Allah. Yeah, you go straight to be to heaven is what they believe. So you're basically they can't lose. And so he makes this deal with them, which was crazy. And when President Trump came along, thankfully and wisely, he canceled the whole thing. It, it was just basically an open door to say, go ahead and build nuclear weapons, and we'll just hope that you don't do anything bad with them. Well, the President President Trump held that off for four years, but now he's out of office. And um, as you know, we have a new president who was in office with President Obama, and he very much wants to get this going back, which really, Greg, is just the spirit of the world. It's really the spirit of Antichrist. Spirit of Antichrist. It is, because yeah. we know that Iran and Russia are going to move on Israel to attack them. So the president, the current president, is basically um, advancing the spirit of Antichrist by reviving this, and it's a very dangerous situation, not just for Israel. It's a very dangerous situation for America and a very dangerous situation for the world with a nation that desires to destroy so many people, and even if they're destroyed, as we said, in the process, they win. So this is disastrous, and rightly so, Netanyahu is saying, all right, look, he's being very wise not to be critical of our new president. He knows he wants to keep that relationship in place, but he's saying, look, we're not going to sit back and do nothing. We're very aware of what's happening, and if we have to defend ourselves, in other words, we will attack Iran. We will do it. And he's basically putting that out there for the world to know and put them on notice and Iran on notice uh, because he knows there's nobody else to defend him um, yeah. but them. And that, of course, they're eventually going to be driven to trusting God's defense because yeah. they will only have God. Well, that dovetails into our next article from jpost.com where Israel says it's troubled by the U.S. position on the Iran talks. Yeah, see, this goes right in line and why he made that announcement. U.S. envoy to Iran um, says the goal is to return to a nuclear deal without calling to strengthen it, which is nonsense. You are strengthening it by going back to it. Let me just read some of this. Mixed messages, and I'll add this, no kidding, from the Biden administration on the Iranian nuclear deal days before indirect talks commence in Vienna. Uh, between the sides are very troubling, senior officials said on Sunday. They expressed their concerns after U.S. Special Envoy Rob Malley, in an interview with PBS on Friday, spoke about a return to the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action without any additional elements that would make it longer and stronger, as U.S. Secretary of State Anthony or Antony Blinken has said, and I quote, the goal is to see whether we can agree on what steps the United States needs to take to come back into compliance with the nuclear deal and what steps Iran has to take to come back into compliance with the nuclear deal. First of all, Iran's not going to come back in compliance uh, and we're going to let them get away with it. I'm telling you already. Mali acknowledged that Iranian nuclear scientists have more information and experience than in 2015 due to their continued violations of the first agreement. But he did not suggest any solutions. Again, they don't have any. That's the problem. 
saying only there will be, and I quote, difficult discussions about what we need to do so that we and others are satisfied that Iran is back in compliance with the commitments that it made, end quote. A senior official Israeli said this, if this is the American policy, we are concerned. And no wonder. Here's what Israel's saying. Here's what America's saying. We're going to let you start your nuclear program again, really with no stipulations, basically. And so go for it. And Israel's going, are you crazy? You're basically signing our death warrant if you let them do that, or else we're going to have to go to war nuclear first with Iran. And America, you're in trouble, too, so you need to wake up. We have a, a government, Greg, right now that is blinded. And I think part of it could be the judgment of God. I'm not sure exactly. It's just uh, we need God's help, and we need revival in America. We need it in the church. We need we need help. We're in, we're in dire straits right now. And this is a big deal, but God is going to defend Israel. He always does. And it will be um, exciting to watch how this all plays out in the way God defends them, because he's going to. Uh, Saudi Arabia is calling for normalization with Israel. This is according to Israel365news.com. Yeah. On the surface, this just sounds very diplomatic, but this is very prophetic really in light is. of Ezekiel 38 really and 39. Yeah, because as you said, Greg, Ezekiel 38 and 39 says that Saudi Arabia is not going to be one of those nations that will be attacking Israel when Iran and Russia do. They're not going to be doing that. And so the, we've been talking about the the rise of the support for the nation of Israel coming out of Saudi Arabia. Which hasn't seeing, been that way historically up until just recently. Recently is really where you're exactly right. It says at the Munich Security Conference at which international security concerns were discussed, Saudi Arabia's foreign minister, Fazel bin Farhan al-Saud, said to the forum that, and I quote, the normalization of Israeli status within the region would bring tremendous benefits to the region as a whole. Well, what a statement. In an interview with CNN, the Saudi uh, FM was asked about the developments in relations with Israel in light of their common enemy, Iran, and if a normalization deal was imminent. He said, I don't know if it's imminent. Uh, that is very much dependent on the peace process. There is, of course, a normalization deal on the table that has been there since 2002. The FM explained that he was referring to the Arab Peace Initiative. And again, this is something that Israel can't do, but at least it starts the conversation. Also known as the Saudi Initiative, that was presented by Saudi Arabia and endorsed by the Arab League in 2002 at the Beirut Summit and re-endorsed at the 2007 and 2017 Arab League Summits. The initiative offered normalization of relations by the Arab world with Israel in return for a full withdrawal by Israel from the West Bank, Gaza, and the Golan Heights, and Lebanon, and establishment of a Palestinian state with Jerusalem as its capital. Again, that is why this will never happen. There may be some elements Israel would agree to, but they cannot withdraw to the 1967 or 47 lines because it is too dangerous for them as a nation. He ends the quote this way, this puts forward full and complete normalization with Israel in return for a just settlement to the Palestinian issue. So, again, the larger issue is, is we see now Saudi Arabia making more and more friends with Israel, which the Bible says they will be, to some degree, in the last days when this battle of Ezekiel 38 and 39 takes place. Speaking of which, let's get into some Ezekiel 38 and 39 news. Uh, This first one, Pastor Mark, from MSN.com, dated April 6th. Uh, Ukraine urges NATO to uh, speed up membership in the signal to Moscow. Yeah. Uh, explain the prophetic significance of this. Yeah, the prophetic significance. First of all, what's happening is, again, there's always been the tensions between Russia and Ukraine. Already Russia has attacked Ukraine recently and taken territory. Now they want to totally take over Ukraine. Uh, so there's a lot of um, issues there in land and peoples going on. But the reason this has a prophetic significance that I allowed to stay in our stack of stuff today it's simply this. The Bible says in the last days you will see wars and rumors of war. This is definitely right now a rumor of war. The whole world's buzzing about this because there's other articles we don't have where um, Russia's already amassing troops on the border. Um, at least I don't think we have that article. I was reading it today. No, we so don't. It looks as though Russia's getting ready to invade. So the rumor is Russia's going to invade Ukraine. They may, they may not. Either way, remember, even as we said, you're going to see more false messiahs, which we talked about in the first half. You're going to see here wars and rumors of wars, and I believe that's exactly what's happening here with Russia and Ukraine. Geographically, is the Ukraine south of Moscow? Ukraine, I believe, is, and I'm looking at a map, uh, I believe it's to the down and to the left, if you're looking at the map. Okay. So that would I'm just be thinking south. About the, I'm just thinking about the well, pathway from the north to the south 
that's depicted or talked about in Ezekiel. Am I right? Yes, you are right. And I'm trying to look real quick because, again, part of my um, uh, horrible education, (laughs) I'm blaming myself for that by not paying attention. I was right. I was right. It's down to the left. It is actually – it is – West, southwest of Russia, down to the left. And again, it is interesting, Greg, you said that, because it is directly above Turkey. Yeah. Um, and so it could be. It's the path. It could be. Now, coming over to the right, a little bit around Turkey would probably be a, a better avenue for Russia to come down. Yeah. But again, Russia did take the port there, um, a port there in between Turkey and Ukraine. Uh, again, this gets interesting. Yes, it, it could be used as another portal to get down in this Russia-Iranian invasion. It's, it's, all prep, it's all preparation. Absolutely. Uh, our next two articles, Pastor Mark, kind of feel like they belonged a little bit with what we talked about in the Israel segment, and that is where Netanyahu is saying we won't be bound by Iran deal that threatens us with annihilation. Uh, that from timesofisrael.com and from Free Beacon, U.S. allies threatened by Russian nukes, say the experts. So this is all kind of feels like it's belonging together, but why don't you touch on these? Yeah, again, this goes right in line. Prime Minister Netanyahu again warned on Wednesday that Israel will not be bound by this nuclear deal. Again, this is just, again, we talked about this already, but the reason this is interesting is because the deal with Iran, he's talking about war again. He's talking about it threatens annihilation, and therefore they will not be obligated to do it. It goes right in line with this move now of Russia uh, getting more aggressive, because we know that Russia is going to be, again, involved in attacking Israel um, with Iran. And then the other one threatened by uh, U.S. Allies. Now we see Russia again with with nuclear concerns. Um, allies in Europe want American nukes to defend against Russia. The Republicans and defense experts say Russia's growing nuclear arsenal and President Biden's inaction on nuclear weapons may put American allies in grave danger. Here's that word grave danger again. You know, Netanyahu used it. Vladimir Putin. A surging nuclear stockpile and military buildup leaves NATO allies the more in need of protection from the U.S. military, according to Alan Mendoza, the executive director of the Henry Jackson Society of British Think Tank. Mendoza said the Europe needs more than Biden's harsh words for Putin's regime, particularly as Democrats weigh Pentagon cuts and advocate American uh, nuclear against America's nuclear capabilities. This I'm going to come back to that. He says the world is going to get more dangerous rather than less. That is a true statement. And that actually should reflect itself back into U.S. defense policy, Mendoza said. What actually needs to be felt in Europe is that the U.S. will be there to support its NATO allies on the front lines. President Biden and members of Congress, meanwhile, have signaled, and they will, that they do not want to grow or modernize America's nuclear arsenal. Many of the key technologies used in deploying American nukes come from the Vietnam era. Republican members of Congress say America's shrinking nuclear power combined with the potential of lagging defense, a lagging defense budget could prove unsettling to allies um, and could have a direct impact on us and our allies. Here's the bottom line. Russia's on the move. Iran's on the move. They, Iran wants to get their nuclear weapons. They want to build their military. Russia wants to take over Ukraine. Russia wants to, is going to move with Iran. They're building up their forces. At the same time, the world's getting more dangerous out there. We now have an administration in place that's saying, you know what? We need to cut back on our, our budget for the military. (laughs) We need to shrink our budget. We need to get rid of our nuclear weapons. What we're saying is we need to make it easier for you to destroy us because now we can clearly see that you want to. It is insanity. And Greg, this is why I said, There's a blindness that's over the leadership of our nation. It is a spiritual blindness where they can't even see the reality of what faces them. The reality is the world's getting more dangerous. Iran and Russia are on the move. They both want to wipe us out. And we're saying at the same time, well, we see these guys in the world, they hate us. They have nuclear capability. They want to wipe us out. Why don't we shrink our ability to defend ourselves down? It's almost as if we are destroying ourselves and God doesn't even have to. Well, that is potentially one of the answers to the questions that come up as we read Ezekiel 38 and 39 in terms of the countries that have the capability to come to the defense of Israel and don't. Yeah. Now, we've always been a staunch defender and friend of Israel. Right. And for the most part, dependent on whom the administration is. Okay. Uh, however, if policy plays out to process yeah. where our nuclear arsenal or our military wherewithal does get reduced as as a realization of policy and budgetary cutbacks and things like that. Right. That could be one of the answers 
to why America does not help Israel. Oh, it's not that we don't want to, but you know what? We, we tied can't. our own hands behind our yeah, back, right. so now we can't. I'm not saying that would happen, but as we see this new story play out, that is potentially an avenue to answer one of those questions yeah. as we read prophecy. And that has been a question, Greg. Why did you see America taking more action? Is America gone? Or is America just inactive in Ezekiel 30 and 39? And only time will tell that, but that could very well be yeah. uh, what's going on there. You give me the money, and I give you the suede. Or you can pay for services like learning ballet. I love this. Or save Veggie all tales. your money up for a rainy day. Yes, I recorded I this. No, I did There's more you gotta learn, this, see? This is our new music world, for One World Economy. Currency, to euros, make things simple. Dollars, pesos, and francs. There's even crypto <laughs> anyway. money on decentralized banks. <laughs> money. Uh, let's talk about money. The U.S. Secretary Treasury, uh, uh, the U.S. Treasury Secretary, rather, is uh, pushing for global minimum tax rate yeah. to create a more level playing field. Yeah. The, Why, how globalistic of you? Yes, the formulation of a global union here. Higher corporate taxes are the key part in paying for President Biden's $2 trillion infrastructure package in order to keep America multinational companies from being a competitive at a competitive disadvantage. The administration is lobbying for other countries to commit a tax floor. In a speech to a Chicago Council on Global Affairs on Monday, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen heralded a return to multilateralism after four years of diplomatic and economic isolationism. And she said America must uh, never America first must never mean America alone. Now, that's disingenuous because they don't want America first at all. They just want America. They want everybody to be one. Uh, Yellen called on all the nations or other nations rather to support the initiative, saying that the U.S. is working with other G20 nations to develop and implement a global minimum tax, which she would stop, uh, which would stop the race to the bottom, she says, and foster more equitable economic growth among countries and regions. And I quote, together, we can use a global minimum tax to make sure that the global economy thrives based on a more level playing field. In, a, in the taxation of multinational corporations and spurs innovation, growth, and prosperity. Look, however it's going to happen, Greg, here's the bottom line. There's going to be a unification of the world's finances. You know, this right here, I think, is, is that mindset. Whether or not it will play out this way, I don't know. But really, all this goes in line with all this push you see now for this digital money. Uh, whether it be Bitcoin or whether it be now our government has one they're calling, they're going to be introducing calling FedCoin, uh, because they want to yeah. be able to control the money. They want to be able to control us. And think about it, Greg. I started thinking about this. If you go, if you get the whole world to work together in taxes, there's an amazing unification financially already. But now add this Bitcoin idea or this FedCoin or whatever digital money is going to end up being kind of the, the world currency in this whole process. You talk about control of the world. If you can't buy or sell anything without digital money, they're going to know everything you buy and sell, which means no more cheating on your taxes, which is a good thing. It's going to stop anybody from using money under the table because everything's going to have to be digital. You won't be able to do any jobs on the side and get paid cash. It's going to be all digital. So all that's and that's not bad. That's following the law. I have no problem with that. But I'm making the point. Everything you buy. If they want to see who are the Christians out there, who's buying the Bibles, who's giving to the church, they're going to be able to hunt down and, and easily and quickly identify and trap anyone that they don't like based on what they're using their money for, and there's no way to hide it. You will no longer be able to hide the use of your money. And for those of you who think, well, I'm going to buy gold, and I'm going to get silver, and I'm going to, you know, look, you can't just take a gold coin and go buy something. And even if you could, you're not going to get the value out of that gold coin. What do you have a gold coin that's worth $500 or $250 and you need some, some bread and milk? You're going to pay $500 for bread and milk or $250. You need something broken down and you can't sell little pieces of gold and hand it to them. So they've got us. Well, and Revelation says us. they're going to throw that in the, you're going to, they're going to throw the gold in the streets. Absolutely. It's going to it's, be worthless. It's going to be worthless and the whole world falling apart yeah. under God's judgment. It's not going to do any good to store up gold and silver. I'm not saying there's not wisdom in different ways to invest right now while things aren't crazy. Nothing wrong in buying gold and investing. I'm not saying that. But it's not going to do you any good when everything starts happening here in the last days. Don't put and, your trust in and it. And you're certainly not going to be able to get little pieces of gold and hand it to somebody for a loaf of bread and some food. Yeah. You're going to be handing out gold coins or whatever you're handing out, and it's going to go really fast. I've got 100 gold coins. Well, that's 100 days of groceries. Now what? You're good for three months. So it just doesn't work, and um, it's interesting to watch how the world now is – 
cornering the whole world. We're being cornered right now into their system to monitor us and to direct us and to make us do what they want. And by the way, not to get sidetracked, but we have some spare time before our last article. Okay. I see that. This whole push to remove weapons. Again, I'm not getting into politics. I want to say something. This is demonic. And why do I believe it's spiritual and demonic? I believe it's spiritual and demonic for this simple reason. If you can remove people's ability to defend themselves, you can control them. And the only thing that keeps the governments of the world from controlling the peoples of the world is the governments have bigger guns. And if you take the guns away from the people, now you have total control of their lives. Now do digital currency, you have total control of what they buy and sell. And you can force people to do whatever you want them to do, or they will have to die. And it's exactly what the Antichrist is going to do. You ever wonder, why is it so important, Greg, uh, that for, a, for a certain political party, why is it so important to remove the guns? Why is that so important? When I think about it logically, it really makes no logical sense. Why not, what's the big deal? I know the argument is you'll stop crime. Well, we know statistically and scientifically that that's, not true. that's a lie. That yeah. doesn't work. So what is the push? It is a spiritual push. In the last days, it is the spirit of Antichrist, and it is basically Satan diffusing mankind's ability to defend themselves before he steps onto the scene and takes over. So I do believe the removal of weapons will be somewhat successful as we head into the last days, because I think that's part of, of, of Satan's plan. Well, and you've got to remove obstacles for globalization as well. And to create the ten regions or that's the right. ten toes, that's so right. to speak. So that's right. That just continues. This is the dawning of the All right, we're getting into science here, okay. and I am playing the Age of Aquarius because I was really excited when I read this article that the Fifth Dimension, this musical group from the '60s and '70s, is involved somehow in pro- prophecy. I, I think. Right? I think there's been a, a misunderstanding, Greg, on your part. The, the Fifth Dimension is talking about this article is is not that group. It's a discovery in the heart of the, of the earth. Oh, a fifth dimension. A, a, not the fifth dimension. It's, it's a fifth. Oh, okay. All right. Well, anyway, uh, fifth dimension of earth's yeah. core just discovered. Yeah. Is it hell yeah. as described by Isaiah? Yeah. And it's a you know, very, very uh, common mistake. But anyway, uh, let me read some of this. Scientists have described the earth as shaving four layers, the crust, the mantle, the outer core and the inner core. A fifth layer has long been suspected, but until now, there has been no empirical proof. Geologists from the Australian National University created new search algorithms to compare thousands of models in the inner core with travel time data for seismic waves, publishing their their results in the Journal of Geophysical Research. They found changes in the structure of iron at about 400 miles depth, indicating the presence of an extra layer. And I quote, we found evidence that may indicate a change in the structure of iron, which suggests perhaps two separate cooling events in Earth's history, said the study of Joanne Stevenson in a statement. I would say it simply reflects creation. Studying the inner core of the planet is difficult, accomplished indirectly through a combination of volcanic eruptions and seismic waves. At the heart of the Earth is an inner core making up just 1% of the Earth's volume. The inner core is two-thirds of the size of the moon, made mainly of iron. The inner core reaches temperatures of up to 5,700 degrees Celsius, making it as hot as the sun's surface. But the pressure caused by gravity prevents it from becoming liquid. Surrounding this is the outer core that is a 1,242-mile-thick layer of molten iron, nickel, and small quantities of other metals. Due to the Coriolis effect caused by the revolution of the planet, the molten metals flow, generating planet-wide magnetic fields. Now, Greg, this is very, very interesting. Why so? Here's what the Bible says. The Lord himself said in Luke 16, there is a supernatural holding tank in the center of the earth. He said it was made up of three compartments— uh, he mentions two of them in, in Luke 16, paradise or Abraham's bosom, where believers were before the cross because they couldn't yet go to heaven. But it was a supernatural paradise that God protected until the cross. Then there's another part called Hades, which is the hot portion. And then Peter talks about the third compartment for some of the fallen angels who did something so bad, God lo- locked them up in advance. It's called Tartarus. That comes out of the book of Peter. What's interesting is the Bible says it's been there. The Bible's always told us. Man is just now discovering there is a fifth layer. 
there's another compartment at the very heart of the earth. Isn't that interesting? As we always jokingly say, yeah. science is slowly <laughs> catching up with the Bible. Yes. All you have to do is read your Bible and you'll know, yes, there indeed is a fifth layer. It is the place where God's holding tank of Hades is, where paradise was. It's where Jesus descended to the heart of the earth three days and three nights and brought out those who were waiting for the cross and led captivity captive that it talks about in Ephesians chapter 4. But what's exciting is, is it just validates the Bible, which we don't need. But Greg, it's interesting, and this is really daunting to me, because we know this. The unbelievers throughout history are still there. The Mm. believers are gone. If you die today without Christ, you go there. The heat of that place is the same temperature as the sun. It is not a place that you want to go. So this is all the more. Make sure you know Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, interesting and amazing story. Amazing indeed. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Folks, thank you for listening to this episode, which is 164, that you'll find podcasted in anywhere that you can get a podcast or go to thewaymedia.net for all the ways that you can consume our content, ask your questions, and read the articles that we discussed. Have a great weekend, and we'll see you back here next Friday for more Signs of the Times. cities throughout the United States and a few smaller cities. There are superheroes among us. These aren't the average kind neighbors. They are men and women in costume trying to help people and foil bad guys in their attempt at badness. You might be inspired by Jesus. Maybe it wouldn't be such a stretch to act like him in public and the size of your town doesn't matter. Be like him. WIAM 101.1 FM. The Way.